when was the last time you played? Well, <laughs> how about last night? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tell me about it. What did play look like for you? Uh, my newfound joy is playing music so I find myself that's a great release for me I get have the, playing in a couple of bands but last night it was just playing with Siri or with Alexa or Alexa but, uh, so yeah yeah so, picking tunes that I like and jamming along <laughs> I love that welcome to lead with a dash of play here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. My guest today is Neville Bilmoria. Neville plays a leadership role as Senior Vice President for Membership and Marketing and Chief Advocacy Officer at Mission Federal Credit Union, a $5.5 billion not-for-profit and the largest financial services organization exclusively serving San Diego. The boards he currently or previously has served on include the UC San Diego Alumni Board, Philharmonic, World Scholars, Cause Conference, too many to mention here. Suffice it to say that he is deservedly sought after for his leadership advice. Music is such an important part of my life, too, so before diving into the interview, I had to stay a bit on music as play. Playing music has been part of my life for as long as I can remember, since I was little and there's something really amazing about falling into that depth of playing music, right? Where you're really just hearing it. Yeah. And being able to surrender yourself to it. Yeah. Actually, I just saw a really interesting CNN uh, article today of a guy who won a contest and got to conduct it. So uh-huh. he was a teacher, he was not a conductor, but he had this whole philharmonic orchestra that he was conducting through Christmas songs. He was wearing a kilt and he was, just having the time of his life. He was obviously completely transformed by the music. He'd lost all sense of, um, you know, dignity and doing the right thing and showing up <laughs> as, should, as every conductor should with this modicum of, you know, formality. He just like threw himself into the music. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah, very fun. I played piano competitively um, growing up and in, in, you know, different contests, different kind of things. And there was one point kind of at the pinnacle of my competitive piano playing, I was going through the steps of this competition where I had to play in front of this three judge panel. And I walked into the room and it was this 14 foot long grand piano. It had the most gorgeous tone and And I started playing the first piece. And I knew in my head what my piano teacher had told me was that they would have me start different pieces and then they would have me stop and I'd have to, you know, kind of just be attentive to that. And I might even start midpoint and, and they were just hearing lots of different things. They didn't have time to hear any one performer play all of their pieces all the way through. Right. So I knew that in my head, but I started this piece and I was listening to this 14 foot long piano and this gorgeous tone. And that was all I heard. 
and I was playing for a minute and then I, I heard somebody yelling at me and I, and I stopped suddenly because this, this rational brain kicked in. I'm like, oh yeah, they're going to stop me. I stopped. And with this like total surprise, looked over at the three judge panel. One of them was literally standing with her hands on the desk saying, stop, stop, <laughs> trying to get my attention. And I just had not heard them at all because I was so engrossed in that music. It's a perfect example. And so at that point, the joy of play um, outran competition. All the, all, you know, think about all the, the competitive side of getting it right and being attentive and not messing it up. And <laughs> so, so, so much of that just got completely blown out when you, when you hit another sphere of consciousness and that you yeah. and the music became one, right? They talk about right. the meditation, the meditator and the object all just flowing into one. And so when that happened, yeah. like, devil be damned you know i'm i'm who cares about the competition i'm just loving this 14 foot piano sound it just sounds <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh so let's switch over to leadership a bit here because you are an executive leader you've been on boards you really embody leadership for many people i will say so i am curious how you view leadership and what role play has in that? No, that's a great question. Um, so I, I think leadership is a decision; it's not a position. So it, it's it's a conscious, intentional choice that we can all make, whatever wherever we are and whatever role we're playing. Yeah, I think leadership is about doing right by your stakeholders, and so you're entrusted to serve. And again, some 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 like and some don't like servant leadership as a framework. But I think ultimately, you're you're not there doing it for your own ego and and self aggrandizement. You're doing it for the stakeholders that you that you are yeah. there to serve. Um, most recently, it, with uh, the focus on conscious leadership, I think is uh, nuanced on part of the answer to your question. And that's not conscientious leadership. I think there's many conscientious leaders, but conscious is. How do I show up with openness, kindness, curiosity, wonder, um, mm. putting the person at the center of the equation? Yeah. And and so then, then the power of play kicks in because that's not that's not just about a rational get or done, success is measured by results, all of which is totally true, but there's there's the human element. And so if you can capture the hearts, not just the minds, uh, and connect yeah. authentically, deeply with uh, people, then you 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 create a different limbic resonance, or you know, tuning in back to you know, we're, we're gonna. I guess we're gonna be yeah. getting this music metaphor to death, but <laughs> which is fine by me. I'm <laughs> Just to finish the thought, uh, I think play is when we we give permission to ourselves to be vulnerable and authentic, and then by extension, mm -hmm. that creates a climate and culture where other people do the same thing. So we need to some periodically just park. That to your earlier example, that rational follow the rule, um, stay in the zone of, of yeah. uh, what's appropriate. It, it's we're not going to have an innovative economy if we can't be creative, and we can't be creative if we can't play. Yeah, I love that you use the word openness, kindness, curiosity, wonder, and connection. Really, is part of another element you described within there. Uh, all of those are are things that I think we grow in when we when we play and as kids we had no difficulty right there actually i was yeah. at a 
a symposium recently where they, they had this litany and developmental play of all the things, a list of them from unoccupied play to solitary play to spectator onlooker play to parallel play, associate play, mm-hmm. cooperative play. I mean, they were obviously breaking this down more academically, but I was just, let's boil the ocean. Think about all the times as kids, we would even by ourselves have absolutely no problems uh, being self-absorbed in some game of imagination that we just made up all yeah. by ourselves. What happened to that way of being as we got older? It kind of got, you know, knocked out of us. So it's not like we don't know how to, we do know how to play. We just we we got deconditioned. We got socially hypnotized to say it's not yeah. okay. And I, and I think so. Bringing that back into people's lives so there's joy and wonder and happiness and purpose, and bring it back into organizations as a leader, I think is a super opportunity. Yeah. So what does play look like within a professional organization? Um, I think it comes in many flavors. I, I think you can't be too prescriptive about it, but it's about um, everybody feeling, having permission to be themselves because then mm. you can crack a funny or approach something differently or, you know, it's it's a lightness of being that that sometimes, again, through um, training, <laughs> not always the best kind of training and habituation we it gets yeah. knocked so i think it comes in many flavors i don't think there's one form of it but yeah and you mentioned the vulnerability of as a leader doing these things as well so that your your team knows that it's okay well, totally if, if if you're not prepared to you know go out on a limb and have fun and let your freak flag fly or, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, then they're, they're sure as heck not going to do it because they're trying to, you know, feel the, the tone at the top and understand yeah. what the norms and mores and values and, you know, cultural artifacts are of that group. So people don't want to stand out. They want to, they want to fit in, fit, fitting in yeah. is such a huge back to connection. So yeah. the way you give people permission to play and be themselves is to do it yourself. And when you do it, all of a sudden they do it. Yeah. Can you give an example of something that you've done at work that has shown perhaps new team members that that play is valued or that playfulness is okay? Yeah, I've done silly stuff I, in the in, in the middle of a leadership meeting. I've jumped up on the table and um, you know, and I, I've at a, at a meeting. I've before the meeting, I've turned the whole thing into poetry and come up with a poem about the topic. Uh, <laughs> Just, just you know, just like I said, it's not, it's not prescriptive. It's just something. Yeah. Oh, that that would be fun. Well, I wonder if I could turn this agenda into a poem, and then I, you know, go go throw it out there. Yeah, so. yeah, very fun. What do you see as the impact when you take something like that and you put the agenda into a poem, or you jump on a table, or you 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 bring in a play that was not in the room? Well, first, it's a huge pattern interrupt, right? Because it's so unexpected that yeah. the, the routinization, the just kind of habituated, just keep on keeping on thing gets blown up right away. And yeah. I think so that, that kind of busts the frame a little bit. So people are at least in the here and now, no matter what else happened, even, even if they're going, what the heck was that? And, you know, how does that fit in? That yeah. There's been this kind of intentional disruption uh, yeah. that, that I think can be useful. So we don't just, you know, same program, different day, rinse and repeat, you yeah. know, the, routinization that can be crippling in in organizations because we we we're not in the moment back to consciously yeah. and so i think the first uh, immediate benefit is that brings people back in the moment 
But then the second is it gives other people permission to do the same. Mm. Love that. You've done a lot of study as well around some of the organizational scholarship when it comes to thinking about organizational culture and um, wanted to invite you to share some of what we know from that about the power of play to foster well-being and creativity. So if you, if you again, break down our competencies into three areas just for this topic, there's the human capital, so this, the individual capacities each of us bring to our work or a way of being, right? So yeah. that's the skills we have or maybe the degrees we have or, or whatever. Um, so that's the human capital. That's the individuals, the nodes in the network, if you will. Yeah. The, social, the social capital is the relationships back to the connection. And that's the in, oftentimes the informal relationships we have. Okay. And so that's instead of the nodes in the network, that's the connections between the nodes. Yeah. Or instead of the bricks in the wall, that's the mortar that keeps, that's the glue, the social glue that keeps us all connected. And that's always operating in some kind of a people system, which is the culture we talked about. Okay. And every, every company has a culture like people have personalities. So every organization by default or design has its culture. And either you're designing it or it's it's there by de facto based on what somebody else did before you got there. I think what we privilege a lot, the human capital, we don't attend enough to the social capital. And mm-hmm. it's in that social capital, the informal relations where people feel a deep sense of connection where the power of play can kick in. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you attend to and invest in social capital, again, the relationships and connections, the likelihood of you building a high trust culture, which at its base, actually, if you want to boil down trust, it's all about vulnerability because if you don't feel like you can be yourself, people have got your back and it's okay, you know, psychological safety, all of Maslow's kind of stuff, then you're not going to have foster deep connection. And then you, it's going to be all transactional. It's not relational. So yeah. I think play kicks in on that second tier around social capital where building and fostering deep authentic relationships really matter to yeah. human in general and in work environments in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Now, some people would would invite in retreats or other things that way that are offsites, right? I, I love that you've described play as in that meeting that you come to, the kind of the everyday things that people might be doing that that are spaces to invite in a little bit more vulnerability, curiosity, playfulness. Do you find that there are times when you need to like add a dose of of specifically teaching play in order to to further that daily culture or does the daily culture become self-perpetuating? I think it's helpful to periodically, just like in anything else, have an intentional focus on a particular um, core competency. And I don't think play is a core competency in most organizations. So yeah, you're able to, you know, whatever, go out and um, have a, have a, a drumming experience as a group or go out and, you know, any of those bonding, uh, experiences that allow you to step outside of your usual roles where again you're not it's amazing how many people in our organization i won't name names um you they're a very different person in the workplace than they are outside the workplace Mm. and part of the time you're asking yourself my golly if you were like that in the workplace you would show up so much more authentically and differently and people would resonate and connect with you more deeply but we've bought into again you know at work i've got to be like so and when I'm not at work, then I get to be other than that. And I, yeah. I think instead of that, wherever you go, there you are, right? So how do we, yeah. how, how can I bring my full, instead of bringing my kids to work one day a year, or what can I bring my whole personhood to 
my place of work or, or again, yeah. using work as a metaphor, it doesn't have to just be for people that are in a working environment. This is, you know, whatever, whatever vocation, evocation, calling energy you're putting into the universe. Yeah. Why, why does it have to be, we don't have to be a glum lot of, you know, all stoic stoicism is fine, but I mean, there's a place if you are for um, routine and predictability and, you know, exactness and there's a place for wildness and freedom and letting your hair down and yeah. you know, being an idiot. Well, and it's interesting, as you said that I was thinking about how much work is a, is a construct, right? We've constructed these spaces and these places and, and we often as adults coming into the work, we'll go, okay, I need to construct my work persona. Exactly. Right. And what I hear you saying is actually, no, you need to be you. You need to go into these spaces as you. Good uh, leaders of culture create spaces where you can be you because then you get the best and highest aspect of people's uh, participation. You're not mm-hmm. just getting, again, some slice, thin slice of something that they, that you think they can do in service of your end game. You want all of them. And if mm-hmm. you're trying to build a high engagement culture, and if you look at engagement data from Gallup over the last 20 years, it fundamentally hasn't changed. Not everybody is engaged in their work. Uh, I think that and then you can say, you know, why, why is it that from eight to five, Joe is, you know, basically disengaged, disengaged five o'clock, he lights up, he's um, yeah. volunteering at the community center, he's volunteering at his place of worship, he's, he's involved in all this stuff. Where was that Joe between eight and five? Uh, I think you're asking the wrong question. The question is the better question, a high order question is, what are you doing to preclude that Joe from showing up from eight to five? Ooh, uh, oh, oh, so, that's a great uh, question to be asking. And and so do, don't blame Joe for having extracurricular interests, and that's where he, he really finds his, you know, vibe and flourishes rather than languishes. Ask why? Yeah. Why? What is it that we are either unintentionally or? <laughs> unfortunately creating that's not allowing them to be their full self. With COVID and um, Zoom and now the great whatever resignation migration, I think is the great rethink. Uh, people are totally rethinking their relationship to work and saying, that's not going to work for me anymore. I'm not going to just buy into that BS and, you know, be treated like a cog in a, in a wheel and spit out when I'm, you know, yeah. not not of use to you. Uh, so I think in that respect, this is the moment to bring play, creativity, um, conscious leadership, some of these uh, new ways of being, because that that's the new normal. People, are, that's yeah. an expectation. You either do it or somebody else is going to do it and, you know, meet the, deal with it. You're identifying how much the employees actually have some agency in this and saying, this is, this is what I, will come to as work. Uh, and hallelujah for that. <laughs> if it's yeah. about empowerment and it's about uh, activating human potential and it's inviting everybody to show up in their best self. So wh- why are, why do leaders have their undies in a bunch? Because that's going on. I, I, I think that's again, celebrate that and lean into that rather than be resistant to it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. When I was looking at some of your journey and your like different contributions, you you're outside of the nine to five elements. I saw your leadership roles in different civic organizations, cause conference, Girl Scouts, philanthropic boards. And I'm curious 
if play contributed to your journey onto those boards. And I'm asking in part because when I think about my own journey and both, you know, in career transitions, but in in like just exploration of different different paths, it often started with just playing with an activity. Is this something I like or going to a new group? Do I like playing with these people? So I couldn't help but wonder in your case whether play contributed to your journey. I, I don't really know. Um, I've not really looked back retrospectively and tried to make that um, direct connection, but I do know that I, I kind of do have a say yes to the universe mentality, kind of improv okay. nature, right? So uh, to okay. my own detriment, my rubber band hand always goes up. And then next thing I'm wondering, why the hell did I just do that too? Right? <laughs> one, more, one more commitment. But now that I have, I've got to honor that commitment. I can't just bail. Yeah. Um, but yeah. so that that saying yes, improv, uh, playful, you know, whatever prompt you get, you you go with it, right? You mm-hmm. don't, you, that's what makes it work. I think that certainly is an underlying um, part of my nature. Again, sometimes to my own detriment, but other times uh, that's, yeah, that takes you to new places and spaces and explorations. Yeah. Are there times when you then realize you need to step back that you need to say no? Well, sure. Um, Increasingly, as I get older, I'm trying to be more discerning about what's the best and how to use and not try to be all things to all people. Um, while I may be well intended to serve this and do that and be on that board in the, in the final analysis, if I overextend myself, I'm useless to everybody. Yeah. So then, so now it's more okay. Where the where's that intersection of joy and and value in mm. both of both parties? Mm. Yeah, I was imagining you on these boards and what you bring, and when you talk about the joy that you bring as well as the joy on the board, that immediately gives a sense of of what you're contributing by bringing your own full identity into that kind of a space. And and maybe that's informed by my own uh, need to want people to be included because I wasn't included. So as a kid growing up, mm-hmm. I was, you know, my dad's Indian, mother's English. The Indian kids said, said we're not, you're not one of us because you're English. English kids said, you're not one of us because you're Indian. So mm-hmm. what the heck was I? So I had to reconcile that with a third way of saying, um, how, how do I make sure that I, once I navigated that for myself, mm-hmm. how do I make sure other people don't feel like they're not included? So by attending to other people's joy actually uh, brings me joy because then I could, I went, you know, when, when I'm playing music and people are resonating with the music or when I'm with the group and I can invite another voice and then they feel valued and affirmed um, that that's super gratifying. And, yeah. and that it's not play in its conventional sense, but it's play because I'm willing to, you know, innovate on the edges and 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 try something that hasn't been tried or have the courage to invite somebody else who otherwise they would have been just excluded or they would not have had a chance to weigh in so yeah. i don't know if it's play exactly but it's definitely plays cousin <laughs> well and i appreciate you really bringing that in because to me there there is the way we traditionally think of play and then there are all of the ways we we even use the word play to mean like playing with an idea, playing with a concept, right? Which are kind of exploring or creating even like the, well, let's play with this for a little bit, which by which we might mean like, let's try it and and maybe fail at it. But these these lessons of play that'll that encourage us to bring like those qualities of playfulness 
into really serious spaces um, of work or of uh, civic action or of areas of equity and inclusion. You remind me of the quote that in the, I think it comes from Zen philosophy that in the, in the beginner's mind, there's infinite possibilities in the expert's mind, there's only one right answer. And so as we become more expert, quote unquote, or need to be viewed and valued as an expert, we, we keep making things smaller and smaller and smaller and acting as if there's only one way to do it. Whereas when that, when that beginner that doesn't know what they don't know, there's so many, there's infinite possibilities that they're willing to try and explore. Now, if we're we're willing to keep that beginner's playful, um, open, have fun with it mindset uh, and believe genuinely that there is no just one right answer because if there's only one right answer then just give me the answer and we don't have to you know invest time in trying to solve the problem more holistically and if we'd done that we wouldn't be where we are on um ecocide social reckoning political divisiveness you name it you know so clearly we have if we got a right answer i'd love to see it bring it and let's use it so meanwhile if we don't have the right answer then let's be exploratory let's be inclusive let's be playful in how we try to address it yeah. and enjoy the journey too golly enjoy the journey you know as uh, go to Jap- japan ichi ichigo this moment is unprecedented this moment is unrepeatable we'll yeah. never have this moment back together mary so mm-hmm. if we enjoy this moment then and we made the most out of it there'll be no regret yeah mm, i love that how did you develop such a strong commitment to to letting that playfulness be part of who you are. I really don't know. Um, <laughs> I, you know, bullheadedness. <laughs> uh, again, in, in a world that privileges information, I focus on energy. Mm-hmm. If you look at quantum medicine, it says we're a bundle of both of those and the right balance of those is what makes it work. But we still talk about the information age or we're, we're so oriented towards the facts, the rational, the data, and, and as a result, don't attend to the emotion, the yeah. energy. And I think play is all about energy. Uh, when you're, I don't know, in my experience of play, what I what I love when I'm playing, whether I'm playing tennis or playing music or playing at work or playing, is the energy that that it it creates yeah. energy, not just for you, but uh, you know, for other people too. And so, yeah. I think energetic. I'm I'm committed to that energetic so i'm bullheaded mm. about that mm. I'm, I'm not gonna let the world buzz kill that if you get my yeah. drift so yeah. that, I'm just stubborn i'm stubborn <laughs> <laughs> oh we're nearing the end of our time i want to respect that would love to end with if there is an invitation you would give people to bring a little bit more playfulness into their workplace yeah, I think each person needs to know thyself and what brings you joy and, and find something that you're willing to invest a little bit of time and energy in, in, in spirit and service of your own self, not just other people. So mm-hmm. what, what, ask, a, ask yourself, what, what, what could I, how could I bring play into my life in a way that's going to bring me a little more joy today? And um, an example is learning a musical instrument. All the data is suggesting it helps um, in so many ways of how you process information, how you connect with others. We both use that. You mentioned your competitive yeah. uh, piano as an example, but, and I'm not saying you have to go, you know, become a, a professional classical trained musician. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm saying 
you can pick up a ukulele. It's got, you can put one finger on one string and make a note. Yeah. And you can probably start your musical journey just right there. And within an hour, you can play songs if, if that's a yeah. bit to you. And if music's not your thing, there's many other ways you can find, uh, use play in pursuit of your own joy and happiness. And, and to not do that, uh, as Mother Teresa says, the world was made for the delight of human beings. So mm. it's up to all of us to create our own delight. And mm. I, I would hope whoever's listening to this podcast, if they listen this long, thank you for listening. And now go create delight because you deserve it. Beautiful. Thank you so much for today, Neville. Of course. Thank you, Mary, for including me. Thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled Holding Rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at maryhendra.com or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces. <laughs>